and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a screen girl. Today we're sitting down with retired Congressman Charlie Dent. From 2005 to 2018, he represented his hometown of Allentown in Congress. This time, 10 years ago, the district lines changed dramatically. The Lehigh Valley was broken up into two districts. Now, Charlie won re-election in 2012, but the district lines stretched down I-78 all the way to the Harrisburg area. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation. You know, since Charlie has a very unique perspective on what's probably going through the minds of every Pennsylvania congressional office during this long waiting game for the new maps. Congressman Charlie Dent, welcome to my kitchen table. Great to be with you, Ari. So we have listeners all over the Commonwealth, all over Washington, and you've done such incredible work over the years on behalf of Pennsylvania. But bring listeners up to speed what you're up to uh, since leaving Congress. Yeah, sure. I've I've got a few jobs, actually. Uh, I'm uh, the vice president and executive director of the Aspen Institute Congressional Program, where we convene seminars and programs for members of Congress and staff. I'm also a uh, political commentator, contributor. Uh, for CNN. I've been doing that since I've left Congress. I've been at the Aspen since uh, February 1st of uh, this year. And I'm part-time at the uh, law firm of DLA Piper. And finally, I just uh, completed a visiting fellowship at Penn State's McCourtney Institute for Democracy. And uh, prior to that, I had been a visiting fellow at the University of Pennsylvania's Penn, University of Pennsylvania's Perry World House. I've also uh, done some uh, advising for uh, the Pew Charitable Trusts. Oh my gosh, no uh, rest for the weary. Uh, this sounds like yeah. a busier than a congressional schedule. <laughs> it's, it's been busy, but it's good. Busy is good. But it also sounds like maybe you're uh, still doing the trek from Pennsylvania to Washington I, and points well, in between. Well, during the pandemic, not so much, but in recent uh, months, I've been getting down quite a bit more. Yeah, so I've been still going to DC. In fact, I plan to be down at least two weeks in December. The topic of this third season of the podcast is redistricting, and you have a unique lens in that you served in Harrisburg for many years. You were elected to Congress, and then in 2010, the lines changed. I think we can just plunge and get pretty, pretty granular, and would love to look at that. We can look at that through a Lehigh Valley lens, or we can look at it through a statewide uh, lens, but would love your, your kind of broader uh, thoughts as we all are uh, patiently or not so patiently waiting on these lines. Yeah, look, redistricting is the most political of all processes. I served in the state legislature from 91 until 2004, almost 2005, rather. One thing I learned about uh, redistricting is that uh, it's, each, each cycle takes on its own dynamics. And, and I, I think in many respects, what's going to be happening this year in 2021, 2022, will be very similar to what happened in 1991-92, where in Harrisburg, you had a divided government. And back then, it was Governor Robert P. Casey Sr., 
Uh, you had a Republican-controlled Senate and then a Democratic-controlled House, divided government. The two chambers and the governor couldn't come to an agreement. So I believe the state Supreme Court actually selected a map of the competing maps. And I suspect something like that will happen again this year, that the governor and the Republican-controlled General Assembly, Democrat governor and Republican-controlled General Assembly will not come to an agreement. And you're going to see the courts either drawing the map or selecting a map, uh, kind of like what they did in 2018. So that's what I would anticipate. If, if one party were controlling the process, then you're more likely to get a, a more partisan map, which was the case in 2011-2012. Uh, and, and so uh, keep that in mind. So I, I've lived on this thing from both ends, from the legislative, state legislative side and the congressional side. And uh, what, I, what I can tell you now is that uh, in the state legislators, they, they draw the maps not for the members of Congress, they draw them for themselves. <laughs> I've always, I've always said that. They're, so if you're a member of Congress, I remember some people tried to blame me for the map in 2012, and I had absolutely nothing to do with it. I was called when the map was completed and this whole day, I was called the day before, here's your, here's your district. Okay. You know, <laughs> okay. It was not like I, I had a whole lot of input into this. You know, these legislators, it was Republican controlled, they, I knew what they were going to try to do. I mean, I knew they were going to try to draw, you know, districts more favorable for Republicans. Of course, that's what they were going to do. But I had no idea how they were going to draw my district until they actually drew it. And so, but this time around, uh, it'll be a bit more challenging for everyone involved. I don't know how long this will take. Uh, that's, I'm just talking on the congressional redistrict. I'm not even getting into the state legislators' seats, you know, the state house and state senate seats. Of course, Pennsylvania is going to lose a seat in congressional redistricting. We'll go from 18 down to 17. And so there's a lot of speculation as to which seat will be eliminated or collapsed into another district. We don't know, but you can get awfully creative with map drawing. You would think, you know, the population increases have tended to be more in the eastern segment. I'll say south and east of the Susquehanna River. That tends to be where most of the population growth has been in the Philadelphia region, Lehigh Valley. You know, the Poconos is still growing. I haven't looked at the latest numbers. I, I think they're still growing, but not like they, they, they were, you know, the explosive growth that they experienced you know, 10, 20 years ago, uh, but it's still a growing area. And so the whole Eastern part, even South Central Pennsylvania, you know, that, that capital region, Lancaster, York, still a pretty strong growing area, whereas many of the rural parts of the state and in Western Pennsylvania have, have not seen, have had, had greater population losses or, or stagnation. This is great historical perspective and insight. Just so happy we punch right in. And we have, I think the bulk of our 6,000 listeners are, are Pennsylvanians, but we have folks outside of Pennsylvania. So to put it in perspective, if I'm hearing you correctly, the, the 203 state house members and the 50 state senators, that ain't shrinking. Whereas the That's congressional right. delegation is going to shrink. And if I'm hearing you correctly, they're entrenched and they, uh, have a different perspective than uh, than, than the congressional delegation. I mean, that's an oversimplification, but I just wanted to well, clarify the state that. State legislators draw the seats, and yeah, they, they certainly are. Many of them are friendly with the members of Congress, but at the end of the day, they know the members of Congress aren't going to be there forever, and so they they draw seats with their uh, with their own ambitions in mind too. And so they have to be cognizant of you know when you draw maps, it's one thing the courts have protected over the years. They want to protect majority minority districts. And so whenever these maps are drawn, you'll, they'll, they'll do their best to protect those seats, like uh, majority, particularly in Philadelphia, where you have two seats, the Dwight Evans seat. And I, I even think the Brendan Boyle seat, I don't know if that's a majority minority, but it's a, it's a plurality of minority voters. The very yeah, it's, it's pretty diverse. As you get into Northeast Philly and Kensington, you have, you know, probably a dozen yeah. different languages being spoken, if not two dozen. 
Yeah, but I would suspect there's a plural, at the very least, a plurality of minority voters, and it's a little bit more diverse. But so, not sure how that seat would actually play out. So you have to protect those seats to the greatest extent possible. One thing in redistricting too, when people ask, you know, why would Republicans in many states have, a, including Pennsylvania, even though there there are fewer Republicans, why are there so many Republican members? And I always said the, the challenge for Democrats is that Democratic voters tend to be more heavily concentrated in urban areas, and Republican voters tend to be better distributed around the state. Uh, and so, uh, consequently, Democrats waste a lot of votes. So you'll have a seat, the two seats in Philadelphia, for example, that are so lopsided Democrat that you know it's like they waste a lot of votes. <laughs> in other words, it's a uh, everybody votes count, counts obviously, but. It'd be better if they, instead of having a, a district that's like 80% Democratic in, in, two, in the city of Philadelphia, wouldn't it be better if they had, maybe if that were like a, a 60% Democratic seat and you could spread those other people elsewhere in the state, it would help Democrats elsewhere, but it doesn't. And so their, their seats are so heavily weighted Democrat that consequently they're, you know, they, it harms them in other parts of the state where there just aren't that many Democrats and there are more Republicans. So I, I get the sense, being honest, that if we went to a diner in Allentown, the the average voter is not talking or thinking about this. But certainly if we were to go uh, to watering holes in Harrisburg and Washington, this is top of mind uh, for everyone. To the extent uh, you can reflect back to this period a decade ago, what, what was going on in your mind and your family and your staff? I mean, the old song, the waiting is the hardest part. You know, for me, I, I didn't really sweat it that much. I mean, my seat, I mean, I knew that the seat that I represented, the Lehigh Valley Bay seat, which at the time was called the 15th district and the state Supreme Court, we drew the lines in 2018 and renumbered them. And so it's now the seventh district. But basically my old district was a Lehigh Northampton base seat. And I always knew it was going to continue to be a Lehigh Northampton base seat because there's just too much population here. Every person in the Commonwealth is going to have a they're going to have a congressman. It just might not be the same one they were used to having. And so what I what I what I learned from that experience was like my my district, I couldn't go east because you know I'm, I'm on New Jersey. You know, like, like Matt Cartwright, he's cornered up there, and he's cornered up there in the northeastern Pennsylvania. He can't go east and he can't go north, right? So you know, logically, he can only go uh, south or west. You know, he's bordered by New Jersey and New York. And so, but in my case, that I could only go I could go three directions west, north, or south. And so I assumed that they were going to push me west because it just struck me that there, if there was going to be a seat eliminated, it was going to be out in the western part of the state. And it was. They were going to eliminate a western seat. People were going to probably have to push west a bit because that's where that population would have to be picked up. So everybody would kind of have to inch out west. Now, what surprised me in 2011, 2012 was how far west they moved me. I, I expected to move west, probably in the Berks, Maybe in the Lebanon County, I thought, okay, you know, we still be a Lehigh Northampton seat largely, uh, but what they did, the legislature did, is that they took out the city of Easton and the Slate Belt, so the eastern end of my district. I still touched the, the uh, Delaware line of Williams Township, but basically Easton and North, in east of like Nazareth, basically went into what was then the Matt Cartwright district, and they then ran my district west out the I seventy eight corridor through Northern Berks County about uh, probably a little over half the population of Lebanon County. Lebanon County is only about 130,000 people. I think I had about 70,000 of the 130,000. Then even further west into the lower end of Dauphin County, which is that Hershey area. Three Mile Island was the end of my district on the Susquehanna River. So that's where I was. So kind of into the Harris, 
I I guess you could argue into the Harrisburg suburbs, Southern uh, Dauphin County. And that's what they did. And uh, so I represented that district. So the political consequences was I went from a district that had a a presidential voting index of about a plus two Democrat, or we say a D plus two. It went from that to about an R plus two. And over time, they said it improved to maybe an R3. So that, that that index can change from year to year. Now that then the courts redrew the map in 2018 and took it back to where it was, largely where I had it for my first four terms, all of Lehigh, all of Northampton counties. And instead of having a little piece of Montgomery County like I had for my first four terms to the south, it has a little piece of Monroe County to the north. So it's basically the same seat that I had for my first four terms. This level of granularity is definitely what our listeners uh, love, and it was why I was so excited to, uh, to have you on, Congressman. So just mechanically for your district teams, your, 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 your policy team in Washington, your campaign team, I mean, it's just completely different. I mean, it's a different media market. Uh, it's different players on the ground, different chambers of commerce, different employers. I mean, yeah. how, how, does, how, how does a member adapt to that? Well, the challenge for, for me in terms of staffing was that, you know, I, I was worried about this because what worried me is that, okay, if I'm going to set up a district office in Lebanon County and Dauphin County, you know, Berks County, I had Kutztown. Okay, they, there's some affiliation with the Lehigh Valley. There was a, the community of interest were largely the same. But when you got out in the Lebanon County, it's, it's, it's a different community than, than the Lehigh Valley, as is Dauphin County. So I was going to have to set up an office out there. And I was going to have to staff it with somebody from that area. I mean, I didn't want to take somebody from Allentown on my current staff and say, hey, you're going to be working, you're going to be working in Lebanon now. Yeah, you got to commute 45 minutes and get to know a completely different yeah, uh, folks. About an hour, actually. And I, yeah. and I said, you're going to have to do that. And, you know, you're going to have to be in your district staff. You want district staff who kind of know the community, <laughs> who kind of who actually live there. And that was kind of what I was after. So I had to, you know. I was worried, you know, how was I going to manage this with my existing staff? Fortunately, I had a retirement at that time. And so that meant, okay, uh, that was a person from Lehigh Valley who retired. That meant, okay, that freed up a spot. I can hire somebody now out in Lebanon County and Dauphin County. And so I was able to make that work. So I, you know, but Tim Holden's district, you may recall, which became the Matt Cartwright district. I mean, he had all this staff and he, he had, he was in Dauphin County and Schuylkill County and Lebanon County, and they took his district from Schuylkill up to Scranton. And so he had all these people from Harrisburg and Lebanon. Completely uh, different communities. And you know, I, I said, I, I remember I had chatted with him and they're like, well, how are you going to staff? You know, he, you know, he was thinking hard about it. He was going to have to move people from Harrisburg to Scranton. And unless you, unless and it never happened, he lost the primary. So it didn't matter. But, you know, what would he have done? I, I don't want to say what he would have done. I don't know what he would have done, but you know, he, he might have had to lay people off. He might have had to say, you know, I, I got to hire people up in Scranton who are from Scranton. Or, and it would have been a hell, hell of a difficult situation. But at least in my case, it worked out. I was able to keep my Lehigh Valley staff. Like I said, I had one retirement and I had one other person who transferred somewhere else. And, and so it freed up two spots. So I could at least hire new people then for the district office. So it worked out in my case, but campaign wise, it was different too. You know, those areas that I picked up were, you know, pretty, you know, Republican oriented, very Republican oriented. So, but it didn't really change how I behaved as a legislator. You know, it really, okay. So my district, like I said, it went from a D plus two to an R plus two, still a competitive swing district. Yeah. It's a, it's the difference between pushing a rock uphill 
slightly and, and pushing one downhill slightly. You'd rather be pushing it downhill than uphill. <laughs> and so, so in that sense, it was uh, similar. It was similar, but I, but I didn't have to change, you know, how I I, I looked at the world or, or looked at life. But I had to spend more time, clearly, you know, servicing that new area. So I, I did uh, spend a disproportionate amount of time getting out into Lebanon and Dauphin County and Northern Berks County, and you know, really pounding the pavement. So I think about thirty percent of my district was new as a consequence. I retained seventy percent of it. In all of Lehigh County, which I always had, which is kind of a base, and over half the population in Northampton County, I still kept. But I lost Northampton County. I think at that time it was about three hundred thousand people. I had a little over that. I had like one hundred and fifty-five thousand, and then about one hundred and forty-five thousand were in, in in the Cartwright district. So basically, I still kept that base. So most of it was still it was still mostly a Lehigh Valley base seat. But 30% of that district was new. And, and you know, the, the Kutztown area, Eastern Berks, you know, a lot of that, they had familiarity with me. So the Berks County portion kind of already knew me, even though I didn't always represent, I, I, had, I had a little piece of Berks County actually before one township, but I picked up more. So they kind of knew me in that Kutztown, Maxitani area. And so, but it was, it was the Lebanon area though, the Western Berks, uh, Lebanon and, and Dauphin, where I really had to spend time and pound the pavement knocking on doors, meeting elected officials. And I spent a hell of a lot of time doing that. So that was a change. I got to imagine, I mean, I, I think a lot of listeners are deeply familiar with I-78 and the Northeast Extension, just the trek to and from Washington, but that just your Monday and Friday schedules and your weekend schedules just must've changed immensely. And it, I think it, that, and we have members of Congress who listen to the show. I mean, I think they're bracing for probably similar changes. Yeah, it, it did. But in some respects, it didn't change it that much. I actually made my Monday and Fridays a little little different. I would I would often schedule things. If we were going into session on a Tuesday night, I would often, or a Monday night, I would sometimes schedule some meetings earlier in the day, you know, in, in Lebanon or Hershey, in that area, and then drive out there, do my meetings, and just keep driving, you know, instead and then just drive down by, you know, Harrisburg, Gettysburg, down, down to the Capitol. You know, in the old district, I would often take the train, you know, out of Philadelphia or Wilmington. Well, I did a lot less train travel to Washington as a consequence of the new district. So I, I, te- I tended to drive more uh, just because it was easier. I could, you know, it's, you know, it's really on the way. And so I, now we also, when we weren't, we're not in session, I'd be going out there anyway, but, but I could coordinate my, my session schedule along with them, you know, the site visits, you know, in, in the district, in the Western part, you know, you coordinate if you just to, for efficiency's sake. You've been super generous with your time and really great perspective. I'd love to end on a bipartisan note because it's so in, in your, your DNA. And I want to also zoom out. I mean, you have, you have friends uh, who serve in Congress across the country. Um, we've seen overtly partisan with in Illinois, super blue state, and we've seen overtly partisan uh, in various red states when it comes to this. Is there any room for optimism? As, I don't know if it's this year, but in 2030, uh, because this is this is what democracy is all about. And I, I just I personally don't think it should be a partisan tool in the toolbox. Yeah, you know, well, look, I think many states, more and more states are moving to these independent commissions. I participated in an independent, uh, in the Governor Wolf's commission that David Thornburg had shared on on redistricting. 
uh, we recommended uh, a commission. Of course, it's up to the General Assembly. But I, my argument to my friends in the general, Republican friends in the General Assembly was that you're probably better off uh, with a commission than the courts. They were very unhappy with what the courts did in 2018, many of the Republican legislators. And I said, well, well, you're probably going to have to go. You're, pro- you're probably going to go back to a, another court decision on redistricting. So it might, it might be worth taking a chance on a commission uh, <laughs> for this time around. Uh, obviously, that didn't uh, that thinking didn't prevail. But I, I do worry that you know, there are too many seats now that are just so dominant, Republican or Democrat, and the number of competitive seats has diminished so much. It's, um, you know, that, and I think it's affecting how people govern in Washington, because many members of Congress feel that their political safety is by attacking hard, embracing, bear hugging their base. And, and their math is such that they don't, they really don't need to win that many swing voters to win. And what I found in my district, and I, I would often say this, I still say this on CNN from time to time that, you know, in my old district, I needed to win for my first four terms, I needed to win about 85, 90% of the Republicans, over half of the independents, and nearly 30% of the Democrats to win. That was the math for any Republican candidate. That's not the math for most members of Congress. Most of them just have to, you know, they just need to, you know, they win 90% of the base, that's it. You know, game over, you know, <laughs> game over for most of them. And, and they'll win comfortably. But that's not the case for uh, some. And there are fewer and fewer members like, like, like me, you know, who, had to represent who represented districts that were more competitive. And frankly, I liked it that way. I, I liked being in more of a swing district because it was really more reflective of what the country was thinking, where you just simply couldn't be so doctrinaire or ideological. And, uh, and I, so I do think that redistricting to the extent that we have these seats that are becoming more seats that are becoming so non-competitive that it will make uh, seeking consensus and compromise harder going forward. That's my fear. I just saw, I don't have the, uh, I just saw a report on this so far, the number of competitive seats that is that swung by five points in either direction is, is diminished even further than where we were. It was a pretty interesting, uh, it was, it showed up in Politico playbook recently or, or one of the uh, uh, news sites about uh, just how non-competitive so many of the seats are. Well, Congressman, thank you so much for your time. Wishing you and your family a Merry Christmas, and uh, we're we're patiently all waiting for uh, for for these lines. So, right, th- th- well, thanks for keeping us company as we're waiting. You bet, Ari. Great to be with you. All righty. Thank you for tuning in to a special episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Please join us for future episodes by subscribing, and while you're at it, give us a rating and a review. We love listener feedback, so drop us a note via our website. PAPoliticsPodcast.org. And a very special thanks to Jake Schwartz for all his production assistance. I'm Ari Middleman, and this is Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics.